Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It was the best of time. It was the worst she was the people's princess. We shall fight on the beaches. Away, man. These are the things that made England. We shall fight on the landing ground. These are the things that made I England. I have a body, but of a weak and evil woman. These are the things that made England. And a king of England, too. These are the things that made England. Cry God for Harry! And these are the things that made England. England! And St. George! Uh, just before we England. oh of course you've, you've heard that stanley's died because you responded stanley god yes what he did that's what your stanley superhero when you were a lad when i was a you were lad, a lad were you? well yeah, yeah i was once um Quite a time ago for you, wasn't it? All, all the all the classic ones so all the classic ones I massively fell in love with Captain America, which had nothing to do with the fact that he had the flag or uh, as, a, as a uniform, and everything to do with the fact that he wasn't massively powered, right. but he, he was smart, so he led the Avengers like he was, you know, Mr. Strategic Thinking and stuff. Right. So I loved all of that. Loved reading the first episode, the first, like, ten episodes of Spider-Man are just utter classics and and it's the real marvel tropes in terms of here is uh, somebody who is uh, powered but has um massive uh, personal issues you know he can't get a girlfriend he lives with his aunt and his uncle um he, he's a he's a geek he's an outsider and it's totally yeah. that kind of thing which you didn't really understand as a kid but you understood as a teenager and definitely as an adult that all of Stanley's stories are about you feeling like you don't fit in. That's what it's, that's what it's all about. People say that quite a lot, but I never thought it was like that. Oh gosh, they they completely are, and that's what the X Men all are all about. I suppose they're all a bit odd, aren't they? The whole thing about the X Men, which the, I only learnt this about a year ago or so, was that the model for the X Men between Professor X and Magneto is Martin Luther King. And Malcolm X. That's who they are. 
Is that right? Yeah. You know, that Martin Luther King... Who's ever said, has Stanley said this then? Or is this... Uh... Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. It isn't, it isn't just some, you know, some academic looking back. that He says the mod... So, you know, and, and it makes complete sense. Pro- Professor Rex is, these people are, you know, different, other, the mutants. Right. And we want to cooperate with humanity. And, and he fights constantly, this fight, with humanity not accepting them even though he wants to cooperate with them and magneto just goes we, we you know we we don't they don't like us and whatever let's just go do our own thing yeah and the model was that and and that's the that's the genius of just kind of w- what he did that actually massively ate uh, so, you, so you like them all you like them all rather than uh, going for a particular one well to be honest with you after saying that i was never crazy about the mutants i, I, I there was something about an ordinary person uh, wandering down the road and then a lightning bolt hits them and they have superpowers there's something about that which is very simple and and actually i quite liked and then them oh, doing cool. daring do's to, to rescue people a daredevil david daredevil is a total best because again if if there's anything that really turns me on about uh superheroes it's be as underpowered as possible so you've got to think and daredevil it just has heightened senses it's daredevil for you then Daredevil is definitely a big love of mine. An unpopular choice, as I said. I was always um, either Iron Man or Mm -hmm. Spidey. You know, Iron Man never did it for me. I liked Iron Man. Though, when they layered on the alcoholism in the early 80s, he became more interesting. Oh, tiresome. Who wants superheroes with personal problems? Uh, Well, you're a DC fan. If you don't want that, you're DC all the way, mate. Name me some DC characters. Uh, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash. Ah, they were boring. Batman was exactly. interesting by the films, wasn't he? He was rubbish before that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't, I didn't want imperfections. I want really cool guys doing cool things. I don't care about us or feeling out of it or, you know, being having real problems. Sod that. I wanted him to get Gwen Tracy and you know have a good time with mj and go and beat all the baddies listen you actually did give this stuff a cursory glance didn't you because you you mentioned gwen oh yeah i I, um i'd go down to the news agent and uh hang around and get them so i'd get spidey and Mm. i would get bino (laughs) i was in love with beryl the peril to be honest I mean, who isn't in love with well, Beryl? You know what? That says so much about you, that okay. you were in love with Beryl the Peril. Does it say they're really, really cool? Uh... Okay, let's move on then. So, <laughs> well, we're paying our respects to Stanley. I must admit, it is a, it's a, something of a tragedy. Mm. Absolutely. So, we are gathered here together, Roy Field, uh, mm-hmm. to, for the latest edition of The Things That Made England. Things That Made England is about our love of the country that, despite everything, we feel proud to be part of. And we discuss the things that, t- put together, make England what she is. None of those things individually are probably unique to England. Might be the odd thing, but that's not the point. The point is that you put them all together, they make England distinctive. No doubt that will lead to another definition discussion but the thing about our program is that it's like the british constitution the british constitution is flexible and 
Nobody knows what it means. I'm actually going to put my headphones on because I don't want uh, there to be audio bleed and then you, you're going to... Well, nobody wants audio bleed. No, not at all. All right, so let me just don my headphones. Do you normally don things? Yes. Here, so say so I'm going to don my coat. It depends how formal I'm feeling. Normally, oh. actually, if the truth be known, I just put things on. But with you, I feel I need to don, David. I think you're absolutely right. Because, you know, it's a bit of class. Anyway, we're blathering, aren't we? So what are we here to talk about? This week, I am proposing to you, Royfield, that mm-hmm. the topic of allotments should go oh, wow. into the cabinet of what makes England. More David Crowther's sex, basically. You know, you know you're throwing the sex at this podcast. I suspect you might be a little bit right that um, this is in danger of becoming the things that David Crowther likes doing rather than the things that made England. Well, to be fair to you, I think we need to bring our own personal passions into yes. this. But, yes. you know, yes, for me, right. it's road signs. For you, it's allotments. <laughs> so there we go. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> good Lord. What an exciting pair of people. So allotments, you think everybody, just in case everybody doesn't know what allotment is, I think there's sort of things that are called community gardens in the, in the States. So these are mm-hmm. bits of land provided for the common folk, for you, people like you, and people like me, Broyfield. Mm-hmm. I was going to make a joke about that, but I couldn't quite find the right anyway. In order to grow vegetables to feed ourselves and our families, okay? Um, so why am I proposing this, Royford? I can hear you asking that. Ask me why. Okay, shall I formally ask? Yeah, go on, man. David, why are you proposing this, considering that uh, many countries throughout the world um, have allotments? Uh, why is this uniquely English? Did I ask you to add all that other stuff on? Uh, that That is my want, sir, as, as your yeah. foil in this podcast. All right, okay. So there are, there are a few reasons. Firstly, I think allotments tie into four fundamental English characteristics, okay? Ooh, okay. I'm going to tell you what those four characteristics are, and you're going to like them. I know a love of fish and chips is definitely number one. It's not one of them, actually. Have you grown fish on your allotment? (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) Desire for self-sufficiency and a long tradition of self-help, okay? A love of the land and the countryside. Maybe a tendency beginning to decline a little bit, but I think still very strong a love Mm. of gardening, and a deep, deep connection between man and shed and increasingly between woman and shed. (laughs) This is no joke, Royford. In England and Wales, the Allotments Act of 1925, okay, 1925 Allotments Act, made it statutory in England and Wales, not Scotland or Northern Ireland, to make an allotment available to the local community. And that is a unique law. So when we're talking about other people doing it, they kind of do, none of them do it on the scale of uh, that happens in England. Okay. I'm going to say that that law, that right yeah. of English, of, of every Englishman to have an allotment, oh, is falling somewhat into abeyance, though, isn't it? No, because it, uh, these councils, the it's on the statute books, but oh. many councils just aren't living up to that. Oh, well, that's they? not true. If they're asked, they have to provide it. And most councils have um, have allotments. Like every council have allotments. They don't have as many allotments as they used to do. But every council mm. has allotments. Just just before you, you, you witter on, right, and I lose the will to live, right? right? You could just go and make yourself a cup of tea and I'll just talk. I think there is another trait, which is very English, which oh. uh, goes to this love of uh, allotments, and that is fear, David. Fear. When, whenever we are scared, which is closely aligned to self-sufficiency, but, you know, when when the war is a-coming... Uh, 
allotment uh, allotment take up go through the roof um, during the three day week in the seventies. Yes, allotments got a shot in the arm. It's when un- in uncertain times, which as I said is closely aligned to self self sufficiency, uh, we retreat to our allotments. It is true. They are they are a haven. And on that point. Let me take you on a little journey for my second reason as to why they should go in. Let me take you on a little journey. Okay, so you've gone to a town anywhere in England, Middle England, you know, you select the town and you're walking through a rather, let's say, a rather grubby alleyway along the backs of some terraced houses. The weather's a bit rubbish because, you know, the weather's a bit rubbish in England and there's a general smell of cabbage because we like overcooking cabbage. (laughs) Then on your right, there's a little gap in the fence and you go step through it and you step into a world of green vitality and order, neatly divided plots, subdivided many times, rows of bean canes, wonky sheds, improvised lean-tos, bits of plastic bottle being used to capture slugs or hold up nettle. You've entered a world of order connected to our roots, to thousand years of our ancestors breaking the sod, Royfield, breaking the sod and bringing life from the land. I rest my case. As you know, I should go on. I've got a few more bits of information. But do you know what I mean? When you find a set of allotments in a town, it's an oasis of beauty. It, no, it's not It's not an oasis oh, of beauty. Come on. There's nothing more beautiful on God's earth than a nicely, well-ordered allotment. David, in theory, it's a beautiful thing that, that every person can go and till their little plot of urban land and have ill-formed marrows growing there. And as you said, talk about your own marrow, mate. My marrow is very (laughs) much formed. But you look out when you're travelling on the train in South London. It goes past many, many of an allotment, and it isn't a scene of visual beauty. It isn't. It's utter chaos and craziness with with wonky sheds, discarded Wellington boots, all of that malarkey. Inventive, isn't it? You know, everybody uses the other little bit of that old stuff. As I say, the uh, you know, cutting the tops off uh, plastic bottles so that you can use them to put your netting over the end of your poles, or whatever. Uh, it's fantastic. It's really, really inventive. It, it says something about the invention of us English, but I'm just telling you, visually, it's not a beautiful sight. You know, your, your breast doesn't fill out with pride. You know, with nationalistic pride when you look at it and look at an allotment it doesn't <laughs> the thing is your breast if i may talk about your breast royfield is mm-hmm. filled by yeah. some very strange things i mean for example you think the flag of st george is a piece of rotten design which is just a bit odd it's a bit very odd. poor very poor design Sorry, very you know, poor design what's wrong with it anyway a thing of beauty mm. so a little bit of history because i know you like it when i talks about history well the the marxist in me is about to get very upset about the reason why we have allotments in the first place but but anyway and the marxist in me will join you in that which town in england has the first real evidence of allotments birmingham whoa well done 1732 there's an etching which come from the guinea gardens in 720 to attract rural poor to come to brum and, you know, generally speaking, you need a bit of attraction to come to Brum. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, and that's kind of the first thing. They, I read some articles saying that its roots are in the, you know, Anglo-Saxon times, but I think that's probably twaddle. When it really happens is the bit where we're going to get both annoyed, okay? Give me one mm. word that makes the Marxist in you furious, and I bet I've guessed the right thing. I've written it down. Well, it's the Enclosures, enclosures. Act, isn't it? 
Absolutely right. And actually, that, uh, that starts earlier than the Enclosure Act, which is, what, 19th century. In the 15th and 16th centuries, there's enclosure. So that the way that um, many parts of England were organised, though not all by any means, was an open field system where a lot of rural inhabitants had a very small amount of land and the only way that they could live was by having common rights on the Lord's lands like woodland and open pasture where they could then help make ends meet. And in the 15th, 16th centuries, a lot of this land is enclosed and there are many enclosure riots. Um, so suddenly you've got a world where because of efficiency and growing commercialization, the poor no longer have rights and are no, lo- no longer able to grow their own food. And so there's a problem. That is what you were going to get cross about, wasn't it? Absolutely. Outrageous robbery. Although truth's probably a bit more complicated than that. But let's not spoil a good story. So 1760, discussion, right, we need to give land to help the rural poor because they're they're poor, it would help reduce crime and immorality. That's another good argument for allotment. <laughs> immorality. You try it, and I bet you'll become a good deal less immoral, all right? Not that I'm saying you're immoral now, you know, but we have been talk- talking about your breasts. So it would reduce the amount of poor relief that was necessary, which was probably closer to the truth, wasn't it? You know, the gentry don't like giving money to people. It would provide incentives to patriotism if people had a stake in the land. I've never tried to grow steak mm-hmm. on my own allotment, but you know what I mean? God, it's a terrible joke, isn't it? It would help stem the flow of people to industrial towns. So keeping them in the countryside rather than pouring into the towns, which, of course, in the 18th century is a, just a phenomenon they don't understand. You know, how can this be? But wait on a minute, David. I thought the whole point of allotments was to get people um, into uh, urban centres, but so they could be somewhat self-sufficient. Well, initially... Absolutely not. It was to keep them in the countryside. But this is the 18th century. These are the early days of industrialization. You know, people don't really understand mm. what's going on. Napoleonic War, that really starts the first wave of allotments off because there were really poor harvests. And old Boney was, uh, what was old Boney doing to us? Giving us a proper kicking. Us a kicking and he was um, telling them that all the continent they couldn't trade with us. Absolutely. So, uh, what do you yeah. call that? A blockade. His continental system. Continental system, exactly right. So everybody has to grow their own food. And you're right that war encourages the growth of allotments. I'm going to cut this short because, you know, this is obviously getting a bit dull, but it's really the 19th century. David, David, the, the topic started off as being dull. <laughs> and you're doing nothing to alleviate the dullness here, sir. I'm telling you. Right. So 1830s, economic problems again. Massive population growth of industrialization. So we get something called the Labourers' Friend Society. And then, so we get all the way to the 1920s and 30s, where allotments were now part of every Englishman and every Welshman's right. As we said, the 1925 allotment. Is it, David, are you passing over the Small Holdings and Allotments Act of 1908? <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. That is excellent. Tell me about the... Small Holders and Allotments Act. Well, if, if you if you don't see that this seminal act under Bonner Law in 1908 was important in <laughs> the, the, the allotment movement, I, I will I will add nothing more to this other than to say I've done my research. I was sir. seeking, you know, to shorten this debate because you know the two, oh, have okay. so many acts about allotments, you know, and keep your audience. <laughs> the audience is currently making a nice cup of tea. So by 1873, there are about quarter of a million plots by 1913 there are 600,000 plots by the end of world war one though there were 1.5 million plots the reason is pretty obvious isn't it uh 
yeah, go on. No, tell it's me. War oh, war. Yes, yes. And what is the largest number and the date of allotments in the UK? When did that happen? Okay, I'm going to say go on, go on. it's either going to be run up to World War Two or just after World War Two. I'm going to say just after World Excellent. War Two, and I'm going to say 1.5 million. 1.75. Absolutely right. The victory, Ooh. 1945, 1.75 allotments, 1.75 million. So, again, war, as you say. But also rationing is rationing Absolutely. as well. So that's that's a little bit of history. Of course, now interest fell off dramatically. There are now about 330,000 allotment plots in the UK. Actually, most places apparently have demand and waiting lists, though not in our place, I have to tell you. Uh, so, Royford, if you want to nip over to my place and start an allotment, we have one available for you. It's got your name on it. I will not be taking you up on that, but but thank you anyway. I'm going to let you into um, a little bit of a truth here. What allotments mean to me are the late 1970s, going with my dad quite happily to his allotment. Oh, yeah, your dad had an allotment. Yeah, he had an allotment and him digging stuff up and I was just a chocolate spoon I was too young to be of any use but he, he'd bribe me by saying he'd buy me a comic on the way and a couple of chewy sweets and I'd just run up and down like a headless chicken whilst he uh, you know tilled the soil for an hour or so and it was and it was absolutely a highlight of my childhood you know going with my dad to the allotment Good. Excellent. So I think your dad's obviously done a great job there because gardening, I would have thought to children by and large, is as dull as ditch water. So if he's managed to get you involved in any way whatsoever, that's pretty good. Well, he was smart. He said he'd buy me a comic on the way. He wasn't stupid. Yeah. Right. So the other thing actually does for English people is it gives them a safe place to make contact with other people. So although allotments in a mm -hmm. sense is about escape, it is also about connection because you go down there You've got something to talk about. It's something safe, like the weather. And I think it's a great way for people to, to get together by a shared hatred of aphids, for example. You know, we can all get together and hate aphids, can't we? <laughs> the one problem actually I found with allotments is that it's a very public form of gardening. I, I suppose that must be the real problem with an allotment, because you can clearly see how everybody else is getting on. There are, there are no very walls public. between All your mess-ups are exposed to the world. Mm. You haven't really explained why this is uniquely English at all. This is, for me, sepia-tinged nostalgia, of which I'll readily sign up for normally. But not this time. I don't think it is, actually. I mean, the number has decreased, but actually in many lots, mm. especially in towns, there's normally a waiting mm. list for allotment plots and the and the type of people that do it is now very diverse i mean in some cases that's a bit annoying because you know lots of brogue wearers are now coming down to allotments as well but it's one of those activities which is pretty pretty blind to race religion creed sex and all the rest of it you know i, I don't know if that's really true and, I'm, and this isn't one of my arguments uh -huh. against it but to me Bear in mind, my Jamaican-born father had an allotment, so maybe I'm arguing completely and utterly against myself. But anecdotally, taking putting my father to one side, there's a certain type of English person, which invariably is male, who is middle-aged and red of face, right, that seems to be into uh, allotments. We've got no red faces down our allotment, Rockefeller, I can tell you that. Where I live in uh, in Nettlebed is not the most racially diverse part of the world, 
But certainly, gender-wise, it's very mixed indeed. I mean, it's certainly the older mm-hmm. person. You're not getting many young people there, it's got to be said. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, in other ways, I think it's very mixed activity because I think it ties into our desire now for greater quality rather than quantity. That whole thing about food ties very much into growing your own veg and having organic veg and having, you know... I've got a question for you, right? Because I'm not going to get an allotment anytime soon. Let alone plant Check anything. Check mine, right, Phil. You're all right. You're all right, sir. <laughs> you, know, you don't want me coming down to your allotment. Um, one thing I would say, the spirit of councils having facility for people to take on an allotment is there if only in the price that you pay. It's something like £25 a year to have an allotment. So it's totally a nominal fee and councils lose money on on allotments. So, you know, it's seen as, you know, um, a civic good. How much food can you really grow in an allotment? Sorry, how long have you got? A podcast length. <laughs> so it's very seasonal. You know, you, you get suddenly you've got billions of carrots and you can space it out a bit and have several plantings and all that sort of thing. But um, also in winter, it's, you know, you've got far fewer crops that will, you know, and normally they're disgusting, like sprouts, which, of course, as you know, are inedible. Um, so, you know, I think it would be certainly nobody would claim that you can really feed your family with your allotment, but it can make a very significant um, impact. It's about the love of it. It's about the connection with other people. That's what it's all about. Turning the sod, Royfield. So, so what? What about flowers? Flowers are quite common. Grow things like sweet peas, which are very expensive to buy. Help manure your patch. Mm. Uh, smell beautiful. Attract pollinators, and you can take home to to the wife or indeed the husband. So there's a bit of flower, quite a bit of flower growing, but it's far, far, far smaller than vegetable growing, I'd say. Well, David, because you're so passionate about this and because actually I quite like you, right, I I might just give you a pass and put it in, but I haven't spent enough time in uh, the the former Soviet Union uh, or in Sweden or these other countries to remark upon how impactful their system of allotments actually were into their societies. But when I proposed HP Source, whether you are the queen down to the poorest man in the street, you're touched by HP. I would contend to you, sir, considering uh, that uh, urban city living is the thing and many a young person is flocking to London, it wouldn't surprise me if there are the whole sways of of young English people, women and men, that are not aware that an allotment is even a thing. That for me, I'm looking in the rearview mirror of English history, and this is just a thing, uh, you know, on the road as as we whiz by. Allotments are dying off in terms of the amount of people that have them. I have a, somewhat of a fond affection for them uh, because it's about me spending time with my dad. But I don't know how. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say three things. One of them which will agree with you. So actually, I found the facts. The other big country in the world that does allotments is Germany. Okay, mm-hmm. who has 1.4 million allotments apparently, and we're then second. Netherlands very keen on them as well. But then it really drops off. So there are mm-hmm. other countries that do it, but you know we're very much the forefront of it. I agree with you though mm. that the in absolute number terms, you know, this is a this is a corner of English distinctiveness. I'm sure you're right. There are many people who would be very surprised to learn about allotments. But in terms of increase or decrease, no, I think at the moment the demand is very strong. There's a demand for 100,000 allotments we don't have. So I don't think it's on the way down. Actually, I think it's on the way up. 
So partly right, Royfield. What I'm arguing is that there's a part of the English psyche which absolutely is contingent with allotment gardening. And allotment gardening is far more important in England than it is in the vast majority of countries outside around the world. Though not exactly. Germany. Germans love the it. The Germans more. love it. And in Berlin alone, there are over 800 allot uh, allotment complexes. You said we're the only one who's got it as part of legislation. No, there was a communist country and I went Czechoslovakia and then I did a cheeky Google whilst you were bloviating about marrows and uh, the Soviet Union brought yeah, in Yeah, but you're, you're struggling around, around for one or two extra, uh, extra countries. I think it just proves my point. What do you mean? I've done Germany, Russia and uh, what it's was the other one I said? Two and a bit then out of 167 now. countries. Well, you know, well there's 192 countries in, in the world. But anyway... Cool. <laughs> I, I think that demonstrates my point. Allotment gardening is far more important to English than it is to 99% of other countries around the world. There we mm. go. Well, we can let the people decide, can we not? I think it's about time that one of the things that we proposed did not make it into the cabinet. And flag I'm it, hoping flag of that, George you, didn't make it. that you're going to draw the short straw on this, David. Well, I must admit, it is, you know, I accept it's a contentious uh thing and i no doubt lots of people will come back and talk about community gardens in uh, mm. in, in the us of a uh and let's see what happens oh I, I i'm excited for the first time ever i'm truly excited <laughs> to see a poll result because i got a I sneaky feeling really you might lose this one it's been a long difficult life clearly for your rifle and the first time you've got excited <laughs> about a lot gardens <laughs> right very good good chat thank you i i put it to the people to decide uh, a lot mm -hmm. of gardens it is. Um, right. we will, and then before we go, Luke is going to sum up from the debate about Radio 4. And here we go, over to you, Luke. Well, you're an ornery lot, aren't you? When I heard that Royfield and David were doing Radio 4, I felt certain that we would be waving the illustrious station into the cabinet and moving on to debate which of its programmes is the most English of all or maybe giggle at its vain attempts at diversity as it shoehorns in the odd regional accent to announce that we would now be visiting Ambridge. But oh no, not at all. Radio 4's position in the Cabinet is about as strong and stable as Theresa May's position as Prime Minister. We're almost facing a hung Parliament situation here. The measly 46 votes for it being an exemplar of all things English and good pretty much needs Amy's DUP-like support with the five votes for her option that it must be English because she didn't get 99% of the references for Radio 4 to squeeze some sort of majority. Arraigned against these votes, we had two votes for Catherine's desire to cover the whole of the BBC. 26 people wanted to sit it out as they have never listened. And 14 votes for Ben's option that Radio 4 is British, not English. I have it from the horse's mouth that there is no can of worms that Ben has ever left unmolested. And actually, that was precisely where much of the debate hinged. The old, is it British or is it English splitting of hairs? Fiona and David had what Radio 4 might call a bit of a ding-dong on this one. Stuart and Alison had a very interesting discussion about how the influence of radio and the mostly received pronunciation that it uses 
has contributed to the loss of diversity of regional accents. And for this reason, Radio 4 is very much a thing that made England. Tom gave us a glimpse into how little British English has influenced the American vernacular by admitting that he had not realised that we call the last letter of the alphabet Z. Glenn picked this up and ran with it and asked what we called soda pop. As is often the case, Glenn, this might be regional. I would call it a fizzy drink, but my friend from Sheffield also calls it pop. If you want more about regional variations, look no further than Alison Mary's post on all the different names for a rounded piece of baked dough. There seem to be a lot of love for In Our Time amongst our listeners. Well, everyone that is except Mark's mum, who has a mysterious dislike for Melvin Bragg. And I suppose you'd expect a certain overlap between listeners of a podcast like The Things That Made England and the spoken word output of Radio 4. We like some intelligent chat, don't we? I'd recommend popping over to the Facebook site to see some of the favourite shows of the like-minded, and as many of them are now available as podcasts, you can listen to them wherever you are, even if you are not a BBC licence payer. And for what it's worth, the BBC licence fee is right up there as my top tax. But don't you dare not come back to the loving arms of David and Royfield post the festive season for some more things that made England. Well, as we are about to allow David and Royfield a Christmas break, I will take this opportunity to wish you all a very merry Yuletide. As ever, I will be partaking in a most English festivity, with its heavily German-inflected traditions brought to us by Prince with a Z, Thomas, Albert of Saxe-Coburg und Gotha. We'll sit down for a meal consisting of a bird from the Americas, named after a country in Asia Minor, trimmed with sprouts from Brussels, eek, and potatoes from Peru, with lots of little side options, including delights from Turkey and nuts from Brazil. This will all be washed down with gallons of wine from anywhere but here, and maybe a snifter of our very own port, Yes, I know port is from Portugal, but it was the English that put it on the map. My children will be visited in the dead of night by a jolly old man, nothing creepy about that, bedecked in the livery of a soft drinks company from Atlanta, whose mythology traces back to a Greek bishop, and will sit round a tree from a Norwegian wood to open our presents. What, after all, could be more English than this kind of mash-up of things from all over the world? Happy Christmas, one and all. Thank you very much, Luke. Perfect, as always. However, Luke did, of course, spill the beans. We've not actually told the world we're taking a break. Cats, bags, all that sort of thing. But Royfield and I think we'll be back with something amazing, of course, around the 27th of January or so. So, have a great Christmas and New Year, everyone. And meanwhile, hit that Facebook site and vote allotment. Anyway, back to Royfield. Nice talk to you, Rol. Uh, Rolf. Nice talk to you, Rolf. Mr. Addis. Nice talk to you, Rolf. And we'll let the people decide. Smashing. Bye, everybody. God for Harry. And these are the things that made England. England. And St. George. These are the things that made England. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night. Sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.